Uh, we've got a lot to get to on this Overnight Scape Central. Tons, tons. We've got some catch-ups. I missed, first and foremost, uh, a couple of weeks back we talked about fear, and Dave in Kentucky sent us an entry, and we're going to get to that momentarily. Of course, this week we are talking about happy things, uh, and we will get to that. And we've got Frank Edward Nora talking about that. But the last two weeks, we've got a uh, late entry that I missed last week uh, from Doc Slees and this from Dave in Kentucky. So let's just, let's get to it. Thanks, PQ. Brett, whatever. I thought I'd talk about some TV shows and movies that scared me uh, back in the uh, 20th century. I don't think... I've had any that have scared me in the 21st century. Maybe because I don't go to horror movies anymore. Um, but anyway, when I was about 11 years old, there was a, an episode of The Twilight Zone, and I was sitting up late in the house, you know, with the lights off, just sitting real close to the TV. We only had one TV. It was in the corner of the living room. Everybody else was in the bed. And I, I sat and I watched this episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, I couldn't remember what the name of the episode was, but I looked it up on an episode guide. It was called On Thursday We Leave for Home. And um, it was about this group of colonists on another planet, uh, a, a rather uh, inhospitable planet, kind of a desert planet. It had two sons. Um, Maybe that made it more likely to uh, to have deserts. I don't know, but um, they were they were stranded there. But Earth was sending a, a rescue ship. But the leader of the of the colonists um, kept trying to convince them, you know, that they shouldn't go on the rescue ship. They should stay there because you know. He was used to being in charge. He was large and in charge. And, uh, and he, uh, he wanted that to uh, continue. Well, the ship came and they, the uh, captain of the ship had glowing reports about what was going on on Earth. It was uh, way better than it used to be back when they were having all these wars and things. This supposedly happened in, in uh, 2021, by the way according to the, uh, the uh, Wikipedia article that I read about it. I couldn't, <laughs> there's no way I could have remembered that. But um, anyway, everybody but the guy that wants to stay decides to leave. And so they load on the ship. And in the meantime, he's gone off and hid out in some cave or something. And uh, it finally dawns on him what's happening, what it's going to be like, you know, when everybody else leaves and he doesn't have anybody to uh, salute him, to respect him, you know, to, uh, uh, for him to lord it over. <laughs> so he rushes out and he tries to catch the ship, but it's too late, you know, it's taken off and he's uh, staring up into the sky looking after it, you know, and thinking about how horrible it's going to be. And it was going to be horrible, you know, that's, that's a fear, a fear of being alone. You know, like Charlton Heston in uh, The Omega Man, <laughs> only he wasn't really alone. 
at the beginning of the movie, he was alone or thought he was alone. It didn't turn out that way. But anyway, that one wasn't all that scary, but I do like that movie. <laughs> well, anyway, after that show was over, I got another little fear. I got another little shock, literally a shock, because I was sitting there real close to the TV, you know, with the lights off. And it was it was time to turn the TV off and go to bed. And when I hit the button, you know, pushed it in to turn the TV off with one hand, I had I put my uh, my other hand on the screen. And when it when it went off, there was like this static crackle, you know, and my hand tingled. Um, you know, I, I got a little electrical discharge from the screen, and you know, I was young. Preteen, uh, I'd always been told, you know, that you'd get too much radiation if you sat too close to the TV. You know, not only would you ruin your eyes, you'd ruin your brain, heart, whatever. Um, so I thought I was going to die uh, because, uh, you know, I had been irradiated. <laughs> so I didn't wake anybody up or anything. I didn't wake my, I didn't go in mom's room. <clears throat> say, hey, the radiation zapped me, I'm going to die, you know, or go wake dad up and do the same thing. It was uh, it was like I just went on to bed and uh, said the little prayer, you know, that says, if I should die before I sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now, wait a minute, that's not right. If If I should die before I wake, <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul to take. Yeah, but he didn't take me. Still hadn't taken me. <clears throat> Some people think I should be taken. But uh, anyway, I joined the church that year when I was 11 years old, um, probably due to a fear of going to hell. And some people probably think I sh still should be afraid of that, especially after some of the shows I've done. Um, but anyway... Let's see, that was in 1963. Let's skip ahead a few years to 1968 when um, Rosemary's Baby came out in which uh, Mia Farrow gets impregnated by the devil. And there's all kinds, of, since then there have been all kinds of these um, shows, movies, whatever, in which a woman is uh, impregnated by the devil or a devil, a demon or whatever. I saw one just the other night. I've been re-watching all the X-Files episodes. Uh, I've, I've recorded them off of Comet TV. Um, and there was one the other night, other night or day that I watched. I can't remember what time and what hour I watched it at. But anyway, it had, had Bruce Campbell in it. You know who he is. Uh, I always remember him from that Elvis movie, um, Bubba Hotep which I used to think was hilarious, but the last time I watched it, I, I didn't, I wasn't as favorably uh, disposed toward it. <clears throat> but anyway, this, this Bruce Campbell character was a devil who, uh, who was a, uh, a uh, traveling salesman and he led a double life. He had a wife in one town and another wife in another town. And, uh, he was trying to impregnate both of them, um, Actually, he had impregnated one of them. He was trying to impregnate impregnate uh, the second one, 
And his, his big thing was not to have the spawn of Satan, the spawn of Satan, but to have a normal human baby. So that was kind of a twist on the uh, old plot line. But anyway, the, all these, all these, all these shows, uh, starting with Rosemary's Baby, I suppose that was the first one. I, well, probably wasn't actually, probably the first one I saw. Um, it's a scary concept. But when you get right down to it, it's also a scary concept to be impregnated by the Lord or by, by, by God, by the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, in, in the first chapter of Luke, um, the angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her that she's going to have a baby. And, uh, and she says, well, how's that going to happen? Because I haven't had sex. Uh, you know, this is my translation. Um, and, and Gabriel tells her in, in uh, Luke one thirty five. he says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. You know, and you have this image uh, of, of, of this Holy Ghost overshadowing her, you know, like standing at the foot of her bed, um, you know, and, and, then, and then it comes upon her. <laughs> and then it, and it go, Gabriel goes on, he says, Also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He calls it a holy thing, you know, you know, just like, uh, well, not just like Rosemary's baby. This is Mary's baby. Um, it's kind of a scary thing, you know, and, and all these, like in that, in that Bruce Campbell episode of the X-Files, uh, the, the woman woke up in, in the middle of the night and there's this thing, this demon standing at the foot of her bed, you know, and, and, uh, well, actually, in this case, it ripped her baby. She was already pregnant and ripped her baby out of her. But, you know, the idea is the same. This thing is going to get on her and, and, and have sex with her and, um, and impregnate her. And then she's going to have the spawn of whatever entity, uh, that did this. And it's very similar to, uh, to what Gabriel is telling Mary. Now, in Rosemary's Baby, you know, Mia Farrow wakes up and she's all covered with scratches and stuff. And uh, and her husband says, well, he got a little carried away when she was passed out. See, she passed out because the neighbors gave her a potion to knock her out. They told her it was it was some sort of health drink or something, but it was not for her health. And, uh, and so he says that... Uh, you know, since they've been trying so hard to have a baby, he didn't want to miss out on uh, on baby making nights, so he did it with her while while she was passed out. Uh, you know, uh, anyway, I guess that's enough of that about Rosemary's Baby. That was 1968. We skip ahead to uh, 1971. Oh. I am going to talk about a book this time, not just movie, not just movies and TV shows, but books as well. The book that scared me, well, other than the collected short stories of Edgar Allan Poe, 
which my family had on a table in the living room, along with a bunch of others, along with, uh, it was a set, you know, they were, had matching covers and so on. And it also had the um, selected uh, short stories, uh, the, the selected Sherlock Holmes stories, you know. So I got into both uh, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and uh, Edgar Allan Poe about the same time. Never really got into some of the other books that were there, like, uh, um, I don't even remember what they were, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But anyway, uh, the, the book, the, the more recent book that scared me was The Other. This was 1971. It was by Thomas Tryon, who was a former actor. He had acted under, under the name Tom Tryon, but I guess Thomas was more uh, intellectual sounding. So he, uh, he, he wrote under that name. The Other was a really scary book. And I won't spoil it for you in case you want to go back and uh, and uh, and read this fifty-plus-year-old uh, uh, book that uh, that you haven't read before. Um, I was so impressed with that book that I that I got his second book as well. I believe it was the second one. It's called Harvest Home, and they later made that one into a. Uh, a two-part TV movie. I guess you'd call it a mini-series. It's called The Dark Secret of Harvest Home. And it has some similarities to Rosemary's Baby in that, you know, the neighbors are weird, evil people, you know. Uh, in this case, they're, I guess, small-town New Englanders rather than uh, people living in a brownstone in New York. I believe that's that's the situation in Rosemary's Baby. But anyway, let's 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 move on. The uh, the one that really freaked me out and and uh, did not allow me to sleep the night after I saw it at all was The Exorcist. And you all know about that. I don't need to say a whole lot about it. But I do want to point out that the voice of the demon inside the little girl was done by Mercedes McCambridge, who you may remember from my uh, Killer Serials series. Um, I, I actually, I think I used a picture of her as the show art in uh, one set of episodes. Orson Welles said that she was the greatest radio actress in the world. And so, in effect, she was doing this radio part in a video movie, you know, because she was not seen, she was only heard. And she did this voice by she had gotten sober. Apparently she had an alcohol problem at one time. She had gotten totally sober and she went back to drinking uh, and she, you know, started chain smoking. And when she was doing the voice, she was like gargling raw eggs, you know. <laughs> Three things that probably were not, were not very good for her. I don't know. I was, she has such a such a distinctive voice anyway if if you hear her like on she did a whole bunch of uh of old time radio shows and and even the later old time radio shows like uh um CBS uh Radio Mystery Theater 
Um, she did a bunch of, bunch of those episodes, and you can always recognize her voice. <laughs> the woman, I, the woman I can always recognize is uh, is Mercedes McCambridge, and the man that I can always recognize is Ralph Bell. <laughs> There are others that I recognize too, but those those are the two with the most distinctive voices, I think. Well, anyway, uh, let's move on. That was 73. Let's move on to 75 for another TV movie. Uh, this one was called Trilogy of Terror, and it had, it, it, it had three separate stories in it, hence it's called Trilogy of Something. And they all starred Karen Black, but the one that it was really, uh, you know, the, really very memorable, really was very scary, is the one with the uh, um, uh, the doll that had the, the, the African warrior spirit in it, and it had a knife, and it chased her around the apartment with it and, 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 uh, and swung the knife back and forth under the, under the door, you know, at her, and she tried to grab it, and it cut her hand, you know, this and that and the other. It's just, just kind of a harrowing experience. And um, there's that scene at the end where Karen Black is sitting there cross-legged and stabbing the knife into the floor repeatedly, waiting for um, someone, I guess her boyfriend or whatever, to come over to the apartment. <laughs> well, that was scary. Uh, let's see, there were some later scary movies that... I was kind of scared by The Omen, you know, the one with Gregory Peck. This was in 76. I never did care for any of the sequels or anything. But, you know, I always liked Gregory Peck, you know, ever since he played Atticus Finch, you know, in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, this character was not quite as laudable, I, I don't guess you would say. But, you know, he... He uh, added something to the movie that wasn't there in any of the later ones. And then in 79, Alien came out. And I saw this movie for the first time at a drive-in. And I know Mike Booty uh, just saw um, um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny at a drive-in. I think I was probably more favorably impressed by Alien than he was by uh, the Indiana Jones movie. Let's see. 79. I'm trying to figure out how many years. I, I, I saw. I went with Lisa and saw and re-saw Alien in, what would that have been? 2019, I guess. That must have been the 40th anniversary of the release of Alien. We went and and she uh, she was really concerned about the cat, you know, the orange cat that uh, that Sigourney Weaver had. Sigourney Weaver that I used to think was Dennis Weaver's daughter. Ah, funny how you'll get something crazy stuck in your head and just believe it for years and years. But anyway... Yeah, she was she was concerned about the about the cat, and I was too. I'm not gonna lie, you know. I care a lot more about cats than I do people. Sorry, I said it. Uh, 1982, there was this movie Poltergeist, and in addition to the little girl that said, 
They're here. Whoops, it didn't do that when uh, when she said that. Uh, it, it starred Craig T. Nelson from from Coach, the sitcom, uh, the sitcom that we always used to watch, and um, it, it starred in addition to Craig T. Nelson, uh, Jerry Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke's older but not smarter brother. And it also, let's see, the Poltergeist also had Joe Beth Williams in it. That was that was a pretty scary movie. You know, I, I find it more interesting now than I do scary. I guess that would be true about any of them, though. I felt that way about Alien as well. Like I say, I quit being scared of this stuff at the turn of the century. Well, anyway... Moving on to 1986, they had the sequel of Alien. It was called Aliens. And uh, it had, in addition to Sigourney Weaver, it had uh, the, the, the faux daughter of Dennis Weaver. It had uh, Lance Henriksen, sometimes whole and sometimes half of him, <laughs> sometimes with his uh, chest intact, and sometimes with uh, with something coming out of it, and that was kind of scary. It was uh, different anyway. hadn't seen anything like that before. At Lance in Lance Henriksen later would be in one of my favorite shows, Millennium, which was created by Chris Carter, who also created the X Files. Millennium was a scary show. It was very dark, especially in the first season. And um, it had a bunch of freakish villains in it. Uh, if you haven't seen Millennium, but you have seen the X-Files, if you remember the X-Files episode that had Donnie Faster, uh, who was the death fetishist who, uh, at the beginning of the episode, was working at a funeral home, and uh, he stayed late to work on uh, this young pretty girl who uh, had died and was in her coffin. And, and then he later on um, kidnapped Scully, um, who, who probably gets the award for the, for the most, stop doing that phone, probably gets the award for being the most uh, kidnapped fictional FBI agent ever. <laughs> It was like every few episodes, some uh, one of the uh, monsters of the week or the villain or whatever would uh, would kidnap her. Now I need to apologize or correct something that I said, and I believe I said it in an email to Frank. I might have said it on the exit ramp. I'm not sure, but I, but I feel like it was just in an email, and I had said something about. Um, that the the X Files started going downhill when uh, Chris Carter started working on Millennium, or started devoting most of his time to Millennium, and uh, and turned over uh, uh, more of the X Files stuff to his uh, subordinates, uh, his underlings, but. Since I've been watching, rewatching the this Comet TV um, uh, replay of, of of all the X X Files episodes, 
I've decided that that's not really true. That show was still good while Millennium was on. Uh, it did not go downhill until they moved from Vancouver to L.A. And they moved from Vancouver to L.A. because L.A. was where Taya Leone was. And Duchovny wanted to be able to spend more time, more time with her. And, you know, it's like uh, uh, Taya Leone was the, uh, the Yoko Ono of the X-Files. You know, she's the one that, that made, the, uh, made the show go downhill. But it's like, you know, it was so dark. Everything was dark in more than one way when it was in Vancouver. It had a dark look to it and it had a dark feel to it. Now, there were some exceptions. And, and some of those exceptions were really good. They were the episodes that were written by Darren Morgan, or in some cases acted in by Darren Morgan. Um, there was um, um, there was the the earliest one that he did was was Humbug, which was the one about the uh, circus freaks or the sideshow freaks, whatever. Um, and then there there was later ones that were. Two in one in one season were really two two of their very best episodes. Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, um, and the Jose Chung episode, which we talked about before. We talked about it on the exit ramp for one thing. And he did some later ones as well that were also good. and And he acted in one that was that was really funny, uh, called Small Potatoes about the babies with tails. Those were all good. But by the time that they moved to L.A., they decided that The X-Files was more of a comedy than anything else. And they started having other people write comedic scripts. And they some of them were pretty good, but um, others, not so much. And, and it kind of turned it into self-parody in a way. And, and that, along with the stupid, crazy story arcs, you know, involving the, uh, the, uh, the grand conspiracy that culminated in, uh, in this uh, stupid final episode. It was probably the worst final episode ever. I don't even know if I will watch it when I get to the end of the Comet series. But anyway... I'm kind of scared to. That's, that's a fear of mine, is, is fear that it will turn me against the X-Files, which was, you know, my uh, all-time favorite show. Anyway, I guess that's about it. Like I said, you know, that was, uh, that takes us up to the turn of the century, pretty much. And, uh, you know, of course it does. Millennium, you know, Millennium didn't make it to the turn of the century, but they did the final millennium type episode on the X-Files to kind of kind of uh, wrap it up, you know, and so that they could uh, uh, party like it was 1999. I guess that's about it, folks. I'm going to turn it back over to Brett slash PQ. So back to you, 
Brett slash PQ. Ah, yes, Brett slash PQ. Yep. Uh, another aspect of fear that we really didn't dig too deep into, some in the uh, actual episode. And then, let's see, uh, a few things I wanted to go over here. I, I remember the movie The Other, and yes, I would heartily recommend it to any and all of you who get a chance to see it. My uh, dad took me to see it when it first came out in the theater. And, uh, well, I will say it has sort of a twist ending, uh, kind of. But uh, like Dave, didn't want to spoil it. Neither do I. Check it out. Um, Yeah, you you could be scared. Uh, And um, that, that TV shock. Yeah, that those coincidences, especially as a kid, where uh, things happen when uh, you're in that heightened sense of awareness and fear, like lightning striking in the middle of watching the creation scene of Frankenstein from 1931. Those things will uh, make an indelible memory, if nothing else, if not make you jump out of your chair. And, and the trilogy of terror. It was years before I even realized the name of it, because I saw that when it first showed. Um, I think it was a TV movie, if I'm not mistaken, but I saw it on TV, and yes, that episode with the little fetish figure with the knife chopping away, that that was terrifying uh, to the young PQ River, and oh yeah, really scary. And, and I love the idea of follow-ups and just somebody hitting, uh, and on this show, having more of a variety, especially in a week like this, where we only have one entry. Frank's going to tell us about happy things. But last week, we talked about focus. And Doc's leasing something in, and I don't know, Jip, if excuses were made on the recent exit ramp. There, there's something with Gmail and I hit refresh, and I'm getting messages. Perhaps uh, people at Google are uh, pre-approving these recordings. Oh, we are sneaking something in here. Whatever the case, I'm glad that we can present Doc Slees talking about focus, and uh, let us all sit and focus together on this. I used to own a Ford Focus. It was the Mark II or second generation version, the one that was never sold in the States. What was sold as a Mark II or second generation in the US was actually a facelifted Mark I. You skip straight in the States, you skip straight to the Mark III, what we would call the Mark III or third generation focus. Yeah. It's an all right car. I mean, don't forget, it was Ford's best selling car at one time. And it's quite a nice car. But I have to say, um, always had niggling problems. Always. Particularly with the front suspension. I was told actually on the first generation ones it was the rear suspension. And they fixed that. And on the second generation ones it was the front suspension always gave problems. But there you go. It handled very nicely for a mass-produced car. But um, there you go. I mean, by the time... um, by the time I came to get rid of it, it was, um, well, you know, <laughs> had a lot of miles on the clock. Been driven hard 
and um, perhaps wasn't in the greatest of condition, but but it was running well enough. And I used it as a trading on the um, on the old Saab. I, I I still I still drive to this day. It's my daily driver. So yeah, the Ford Focus. I don't know if that's another one of the models that Ford currently are phasing out. You know, they seem to be phasing out. You know, the well, the idea of making cars. Uh, yeah, the Fiesta is. See, so they've already they've already killed off the Mondeo, um, which in the states would have been what that was the uh, originally the Contour. Later, the um, the Fusion name was used on that. They've already got rid of that. And um, then the Fiesta's gone, which is the one below the um, the Focus. So I mean, I don't know if they still make Focuses. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. They apparently want to focus on making electric cars. That's that's the future. And maybe it is. But if the um, if we to meet all these targets that have been given for um, phasing out fossil fueled vehicles then they're um they're gonna have to do something it's it's not just in improving electric cars but in um in providing the infrastructure to charge the damn things because it just certainly around here uh glorious crap just uh, it simply doesn't exist you know and i'm one of those people i can't charge my plug my car in in my house and charge it because um you know i have to park several hundred yards down the street uh, from my house so that's had an extremely long extension lead which i think people might complain about they start tripping over that as they walked up and down the pavement um you know it's just not practical because there are no charging points close to my house yeah maybe they'll produce an electric focus who knows um but that's not the sort of focus I think we're meant to be talking about. Um, indeed, I necessarily want to talk about focus. Focus, as well as being the name of a car, popular model of car, is also the mental discipline one needs uh, when it comes to well, lots of things learning particularly focus is essential when i've been te- when i was teaching back in the day um, when i was getting my, my teaching qualification that was the problem with a lot of the kids i, t- I say kids they're young adults they were sort of between <clears throat> 16 and 18 what a lot of them lacked was f- the ability to focus getting them to focus on anything in class you know to concentrate on something could sometimes be an uphill battle Uh, maybe it's always been like this maybe you know the classroom has always been like this but back in my day when i was a student i was on the other side so i wouldn't have noticed necessarily i was always good at being focused always have been that's why um i've achieved academically because i can focus it's a little quirk of my mind, of thy mental processes, that I'm able to do that. To look at a subject, read about stuff, and identify what is the most 
relevant parts of this, i.e. the significant parts that you have to know, significant facts, the significant theories, so on, and focus on those. Focus on learning those. And if you've got good, and also I like that I have a good short-term memory, uh, <laughs> which gives me an unfair advantage in exams, because I can do my revision before the exams, focus on the bits that I, I know are, are most significant, and then I can often repeat them word for word in the exams. Um, but it makes it much easier. Also, though, when you come to answer an exam question, as I frequently told students, it is all when preparing them for exams. It's all about focus, because in the subjects I, 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 I taught, <clears throat> the examination consisted mainly of writing short essays. And... Um, It requires focus. Again, you, you have the, the, the scattergun approach to answering the question. Are you write down everything you know broadly about the subject and hope that enough of it is relevant, you'll pick up sufficient marks to pass or, you know, or to get a decent grade. can work, but you've got to be focused. You've got to look exactly at what that question is. Focus on what is it that the examiner is trying to get out of you. What is it they want you to demonstrate you know? And then you have to focus on that information to answer that specific question and focus on answering it the best and most coherent way. Because, and it's what, um, it's what a lot of students didn't like hearing, is <laughs> that some of the marks on an exam question are not awarded for being able to come up with, with the relevant points and facts. To answer the question it's actually they're awarded for your um, abilities with comprehension and uh, spelling grammar and basic ability to communicate they don't like hearing that students that's not fair they say except it is because that's partly in large part what an examination is about not just um, identifying, are you, how can you focus on answering a specific question? Do you know the relevant stuff? Can you focus on that? But also, can you communicate it coherently in such a way other people can understand it, comprehend it? Mm. Uh, so that's why marks are awarded for that. But yes, focus is so very important. And in, that in the process of learning, and it's very much like focusing your eye or focusing a camera in that you find that you bring to the fore the elements which are most important. Like in a photograph, the elements you want to be uh, most, you think are most significant in your composition, what you're trying to photograph, you focus on those and put everything else into the background. It's still there. But you don't necessarily need to know or see it in so much detail or know about it in so much detail. And that, though, applied also in my working life when I worked for the Ministry of Defence. Um, say not just academically, when I worked for the Ministry of Defence, when I used to sort of analyse documents and things, is to be able to focus on it and pick out the relevant bits again. See, it's literally seeing the wood for the trees. Um, you have to be able to do it, and it's all about focus.
you know, you have to be able to read all this stuff and learn to focus on the bits that are relevant. As I say, I have a particular mental quirk of my thought processes that I find that easy to do. Um, it's the same thing when you're watching a film, say, if you want to write some kind of critical analysis of it. You, uh, you watch it and you start picking out the relevant thing. With the film, you might have to watch it more than once. But you start picking out the relevant themes. And often when you... It helps to think about it afterwards. Let it settle in. Think about it. I never take notes when I watch films. I let it all settle in. And I think about it later. Then I might go back and watch it again to check that what I thought was important was important. And that I didn't miss anything. If I'm going to write about it. And then I get down to a, to writing my analysis of it. Which is much the same way as you, you should do things in academic study or doing that analysis of um, intelligence reports or whatever. That's, that's what you do. But not everyone can. And that, and I'm, I'm going to give a proviso here, I am not an expert on the following subject by any means. But if you've ever done any teaching, you have to to know a little bit about it is young people with learning difficulties things like ADHD particularly I mean you gotta be careful ADHD is just a, a attention deficit deficit whatever disorder um, hyperactivity disorder you gotta be careful sometimes it's just used as a convenient label um, for kids who are simply badly behaved and ill-disciplined. Uh, however, there is a genuine syndrome whereby there are children who find it very difficult to focus. That process of focus for them doesn't come naturally and it's very difficult for them. And it makes it very difficult for them to concentrate in class. It means that they often then become distracted and that in turn can distract the rest of the class. The stereotype of the kid with ADHD, and you see it portrayed on television and dramas and things all the time, is they they can have often uh, often physically disruptive outbursts and you know histrionics and whatever. Which whilst that can be a manifestation, in reality, most cases, it's far subtler than that. Uh, particularly in girls, girls are less demonstrative in their with their um, attention deficit problems. Um, they tend to just drift off if they 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 have ADHD. They just sort of drift off because they can't focus on the subject. Um, they also don't like it when the subject changes um, because often they're only just beginning to get into it and get some grasp of it. Then you move on to something else. Um, it's a problem they have. That's the other odd thing about some children with ADHD can become very obsessive about a particular subject and manage to focus on that and learn it. But they, they, they don't like that, as I say, changing to another subject. They are happier focusing on that one thing for maybe a week, couple of weeks, and then they feel happy they can move on to something, look at something else for a while. But unfortunately, such behaviours 
um, are difficult to accommodate in the classroom um, within the normal structure of, of the majority of students who can muster a degree of focus, at least a degree of it, um, for their learning. Which is why we hook kids with ADHD, labelled as having ADHD out of normal classes, stick them into special educational units. Um, which on the one hand, yeah, you're trying to meet their needs. On the other hand, you have the danger, you have all these kids, all with disruptive behaviours or distract or behaviours that are going to distract. You've got them all in one classroom and wow, that's that also can be a, be a recipe for disaster and isn't necessarily going to help them. It's where a lot of kids with ADHD end up, well, a significant number, end up being homeschooled because they can take things at their own pace. And uh, they don't have the, just all those other distractions of the classroom and other kids around them. They do that. But yeah, that's what they lack is, is focus in the way that it seems to come naturally to some of us. Most of us probably to a degree, some of us more than others. It's very difficult for them. Sometimes they grow out of it as they get older. It's because they learn to focus. They learn disciplines and mental disciplines that allow them to do it. They grow, and they grow out of it. As I say, sometimes with people, those symptoms of ADHD can persist into adulthood, um, which can sort, cause all sorts of problems if it isn't diagnosed. But it all comes down to focus. That's the most important thing I always found with students. And I was teaching allegedly regular not a, you know, students who had been diagnosed with learning difficulties as such. is trying to instill in them those mental disciplines, intellectual disciplines that with which they can then focus on the relevant parts of what they're reading, what they're looking at, what they're meant to be learning. It's all about focus in education, in my opinion. Other edu qualified educators may disagree, uh, <laughs> but that's one of the most important things I took away from my time, um, relatively brief time teaching. Focus, you gotta focus. Do that and you'd be surprised what you can achieve. But as I say, for some people, it just doesn't come naturally. They uh, wired slightly differently, perhaps, um, which isn't different bad. It's just different, different. And so they need uh, an another, an alternative approach to learning. Um, but it does come down of them learning to focus ultimately it's much more difficult for them but it can be done but anyway there you go there's some thoughts about focus both the car and the mental discipline on that note i say back to you pq and as ever i know i am running it tight to get this in under the wire okay back to you pq well man doc i wish this had been included last week because yeah this is a continued crux of my, I mean, it's obvious. I envy your ability to focus and think critically and 
narrow down the important point or points of something. I have always been all over the place, and I'm one of those people, I think I've found a point, and it's it's not really the point. It's something that I did impose some personal digressed interest in, some tiny segment that resonated with me in a 90-minute movie that really nobody else even had a great notice of. Uh, I have that spectrum thing. I was never, ever good at school. Somehow or other, I managed to pass tests, but I think that was more that I was good at uh, getting multiple choice and writing rambling enough essays that it seemed like I'm at least I could pass. Um, and to this day, I found and find that every time I think I am reaching a point where I am improving and focusing and narrowing in, it's some temporary delusion. And yeah, I can carry it off. I seem to have been faking it in certain ways for now, what, 63 years? It's The focus is something, and I've never taken the meds. I've seen other people take the meds, and it terrifies me what it does to other people. Um, I just, I can't even imagine. Uh, and my folks at the time went, well, back in the day, when I was diagnosed, what did they call it, hyperactivity or hyperkineticness, um, they gave kids amphetamines, which, thank goodness, I mean, I'm already skinnier than a twig, can you imagine? I, and I, I just don't get it. And I still don't get it. I don't get the point. Somehow I manage to function, but as I get older and see the world and things are pointed out. And maybe because in the last uh, while I have stopped self-medicating, um, it's really coming home and it's really difficult for me to accept that I am, I guess, incurably like this. I mean, I'd hate to think that, well, who knows? Genetically, I could live another, what, 30, 40 years, and it really does separate one from others. Um, important people in your life try, and I don't know. I feel like I let people down, and I don't follow through, and I make excuses that don't hold water. Uh, yeah, I really wish there had been something or there was something now that I could do, but I'm almost, I, I mean, I hate to think that it's too late at this point because, like I say, theoretically, I could have quite some time to come, but it may be. And that, going back to that, is uh, a serious fear that I would carry here and uh and it's not as we uh, are going to project forward thank you doc um it's not at all something that i consider a happy thing 
However, speaking of happy things, we have not only Frank Edward Nor, as I said before, but Chad Bowers is here from the incredible True Facts of Space. And uh, I, I think it's time after uh, I just did the whole bummer thing. Uh, I think I would have an appreciation for hearing uh, Chad's take on happy things. You know, they say everybody wants to be happy. So I, if I could just figure out how to be happy. But do you really want to be happy? I mean, what is happy? Seems like the fool is happy. But that's about the uh, cost of being happy. What is happy? I think it would be much better to be comfortable, content, fulfilled. All of these things are much better than happiness. Happiness is a, uh, a laughing fool stumbling around, drunk in his ignorance of problems around him. This doesn't sound so good. Some of the things uh, that make me happy to think about. Things like new elevators with unique buttons and panels, decorations inside. You ever been inside of an elevator that had a couch and a side table and an ashtray and a cigarette dispenser and... Uh, a stapler. You know, these are special elevators with mirrors and sometimes even uh, crystal bobbit adorned chandeliers. Other happy thoughts for me uh, a coat rack that's also a lamp, a coat rack with a three way bulb, or for that matter, a a ceiling fan with strawberry-scented blades. I think that would smell uh, about the same as my fan of my youth, you know, in a bedroom. I had a, I had a fan, and I broke into the Catholic Girls Charity uh, Orphanage, and I stole 100 strawberry shortcake dolls, and I hung them from my fan with strings, and when they would whip around, it's hard to describe the wondrous smell inside that room, but it was much like being on the inside of a strawberry Pop-Tart, or strawberry shortcake herself, for that matter. How about a, uh, how about a dipstick? He's a complete dipstick, but this, a dipstick to measure happiness. Well, I've got one for you. I know you guys like your wings, you, know, you like your chicken legs, but how about a chicken with 12 legs? Or a candy that takes your breath away like a snow skiing trip to Innsbruck? You remember that waxy fortune bubblegum that told the solid truth? The low down? A playing card deck with 15 royal suits, five types of jokers, and a psychedelic mystery card that must be eaten before playing the game. 
I saw a kid uh, hugging a stuffed animal, and plush is a big category, you know. A lot of retailers like plush. Let me tell you the thing. It's plush, the licensing costs way more than the product. That's the beauty of uh, plush toys when it comes to licensing. So a stuffed mouse that is licensed and approved by an evil global corporation. It's kind of like that witch in Snow White. How about one of those uh, new cars, the ones that get kind of weird in the corners? Or a fly-looking mushroom hat that could speak on my behalf? That would be nice. I'm grateful for all sorts of stuff in life. Uh, you know, people saying thank you, random acts of kindness from a stranger, such as handing me an entertaining and informative religious tract. Finally, something that I can really dive into and read and perhaps write them a letter on my new stationery and thank them for haven't given me such a thing. It's the gift of life. Keeps on giving. I'm grateful for uh, many things, uh, like the new Timex watches. I'm loved and supported by my family and my friends when it comes to chili and other stews made in a crock pot. I'm capable of achieving my goals when sober. I'm surrounded by this beauty and wonder in a world built on death. I'm learning and growing every day. If you'll just listen closely to all this, I'm making a difference in the world with my Dale Carnegie tricks. I'm happy and content to keep playing my Atari 2600, despite the advances with the newer consoles. I'm optimistic about the future of wildlife on this planet. I think after we're dead, they're going to have a long, peaceful time, and they're going to proliferate and do very well. It's a shame that, uh, that that asteroid hits Earth in 20 years and pretty much destroys all life on the planet. But here's the deal, and this might not seem positive to positive to you yet, but when all the life dies out 50 years from now after that asteroid, five million years later, there's this plant, and I swear to you, it is the most beautiful plant you've ever seen. And that all comes about after that dark day, you know. I'm living in a dream world of marshmallow pains and sugar plum losses. Yeah, I'm optimistic about the future of wildlife on the planet Earth. And speaking of which, let's uh, come up some name, come up with some names for these little darlings. Now, if you want to keep things on the up and up, the positive track, you might want to name your kid after laughter. You know, words, names that mean laughter. Some of these are Beatrix, Blythe, Ruth. Charo, Allegra, Fifi, Letitia, Mirth, and Zoe. Now, on the other hand, if you want to go down the Alex Trebek route, 
speak. Side note. Blossom has uh, the girl, Blossom. She's turned into a host on a game show called Jeopardy. It used to be hosted by Alex Trebek. There's also this great winner of Jeopardy, Ken Jennings, and he is the other host. He's kind of the daytime, everyday host, and then Blossom, she does the uh, the special nighttime celebrity editions. And the thing is, watching them, watch them, watch either one of them, they're fine, they're, they're pretty damn good. But then go back a couple years and watch Alex Trebek. The presence, the sense of a host in charge, you know? Did you ever know the secret of radio back when uh, commercial radio, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s? A lot of times you needed the main jock had to be sort of a boss character. And he'd play it kind of straight on a lot of things. And then he'd have some screwball members of his staff that he'd call out for what whack jobs they were, you know. But he was the one in control, and he sort of led the party forward. It was uh, traditional leadership qualities. Now, if you want to name your kid to mean something like uh, the concept of harmony, well, you could name your child Harmony, as it turns out. You could name them Peace, or Hope, or Mark, or Luscious, Serenity, Tranquility, or Candy. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember when we were about 16, we were at the Circle K next to Cottage Hill Park, and there was a church directly next to it. They were having some type of a hoedown, and pizza was involved, free pizza. So this beautiful young lady, maybe 16 years old, all smiley, she talked us into coming over to get some free pizza, and well, there ended up being people's hands on us and tongues, and but we did get the free pizza, and we left after that. It was kind of a lesson, you know. I'd been shanghaied, what do you call it, in China when they put the uh, the girl honeypot. I've been honeypotted. But it was a long time ago. I didn't even know that word back then. But Much like Tigger and Pooh, honeypots were involved. Now, if you want to name your kid after something more along the lines of courage, let me give you some names there. Uh, you could call them courage. You could call them brave. Emery, you could name them Hero, Asher, Billy, Justice, another good one, Floyd. These are words that mean courage. Now, elegance, Bella, Alora, Grace, Harmony, Iris, Olivia, intelligence, Athena. Now, that's a powerful name. You name a girl Athena, and you better believe it. She's going to be a fat bottom girl with something to talk about. Now, here's a strange one for intelligence, indigo. It's kind of like the color blue, and, uh, you know, why that signifies intelligence? I couldn't tell you, brother. Uh, other names for intelligence, sage. That's a good name. Now, sage could go for a boy or a girl. And finally, I guess the penultimate, uh, well, not quite, uh, the ultimate name is uh, Poindexter. Here's a happy thought for you. You ever been playing with Legos? 
I just recently built a uh, a model Jeep out of Lego, and it was a type of Legos that I had never built with before. It's it's basically the entire set is studs not on top. It's all using the girders and the pins and side snap-on pieces and smooth pieces on the top. Looked completely different than other Lego creations I had created, but it also looked very much like a Jeep Gladiator. And uh, I enjoyed that. It's, it's got steering in it. I sat downstairs at a little card table and I'd bring this set out and I just left it out, you know, like a puzzle unfinished. I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to leave a card table downstairs and just kind of leave things on it. Like a Lego set that's like a third built, you know. And then like three weeks later, it's still pretty much a third. But then, you know, you stop by every once in a while. You do a couple pages, put some pieces on. And yesterday, Sunday... I sat down and I spent a couple hours and I finished the Jeep. I was making vroom vroom noises, driving it on the couch, and uh, just kind of admiring my handiwork. Kind of wishing I could shrink down and sit inside of it for a while. It did have seats. I had reclining seats in there. I had a dashboard, but it was just stickers. You couldn't control nothing. It was a picture of the radio, but it wasn't no radio. But you know, sometimes a picture's all you need. And it lets you think back to happy music you've heard through your life. It's that moment with Legos, you know. You realize that all these random bricks in front of you have been almost entirely assembled into a nearly finished model. It's like you've gotten over the hump, the, the mystery of how to put this together and all these little parts and where do they go. It's starting to wind down. You've, you've crossed the Rubicon. You've, you've made some type of uh, permanent transition into a new phase of the Lego set. You've now mastered the instructions and mastered the pieces before you. So you put that baby together and... Uh, it just sort of feels like going downhill on a bicycle after that. How about when you uh, put on your heavy coat for the first time of the year, and then you reach in that pocket and you find a roll of butter rum lifesavers? Hmm, that sounds nice. Uh, I guess a few other thoughts to share with you. We'll start with things that make me go, ah, sleeping in a freshly made bed, smelling the sawdust, feeling the sun on my face as you arrive back to the planet Earth, people saying thank you or random acts of a, a stranger, such as handing me an entertaining and informative religious tract, finding money in all kinds of unexpected places, and then evading the police, having time to spend with myself and my shadow, laughing so hard it hurts while eating cheese. I had a block of uh, smoked cheddar, and I was happy as a clam sitting there. I was eating that smoked cheddar cheese. And I ate about half a pound of it. 
snuggling on the sofa with a loved one while the world burns. Freshly made bread with the very best butter. Now you have to watch, uh, you have to, first you need to be familiar with uh, Lewis Carroll, Alice Through the Looking Glass, uh, the stop motion film. Yeah. Alice. Check it out. It's by that, uh, that guy from that other country, but just search it. You'll find doing something for others while stalking them. Now that's a good feeling. That mysterious clean feeling that comes after taking a shower it happens every day. How about when your favorite song comes on the radio? You ever been thinking about a song or humming a song and then you turn on the radio and it was there? I don't know if that happens with streaming so much, but back when they were broadcasting at 100,000 watts, I, I have to wonder if my fillings were picking up a minute volume stream of that music and my brain was hearing it subconsciously. And that's how I knew Queen, another one bites the dust, was playing. And then I turned my car on, I turned the radio, another one bites the dust, another one bites the dust. Hey, yeah! We talked about James Brown a little while ago. Talked about his butt looking like the uh, Ford Thunderbird from the late 70s. But yeah, that's a hell of a thing. Uh, one other thing that brings... Uh, a fair amount of joy to my life is the thrill of personal achievement on skates. I don't know if you've ever been able to just be skating down the line and then just with one foot kind of pivot and then you're skating backwards. You've conserved all your momentum and you've just sort of done a flip. And that's a good feeling. It's a happy feeling. Having a long hot bath with all your clothes on and you ask yourself, what the hell am I doing? Freshly cut grass skirts on Hawaiian dancers. Ah, oh, I love the fresh smell of grass skirts. Chocolate melting in your mouth and candle wax on the skillet. Yeah, you know, chocolate's just melting. Bacon cooking in the morning by someone else, anyone else. Someone that knows how to cook bacon properly, for one thing. Not that microwave bacon. Get a pan. You know, do whatever it is you do to cook the bacon. I want some bacon, man. I'm a, I have time for some limp microwave pork fat. Talking or reading to your pet. This is a this is a good thing to do. My uh, Ziggy, he really likes for me to read old people magazines from the 80s. I don't know why, but he loves it. A soothing massage on a fat cow's udders. Now, this works best when it's cold outside because the warm of the cow feels good. You know, if it's hot and you're down there laying, it's humid, you're on the grass, there's cow poop around you, flies, and you're touching this warm bag of milk with udders. It's not so special, but in the fall, crisp morning, that's a good feeling. That Friday feeling in my pants. Nothing like that. Perfectly cooked steak and a dead vampire kebab. Yeah, stuck him right through the heart with that baby. 
threw him on the old Barbie. Dracula is on the Barbie. Waking up before the alarm clock and realizing you should turn it off. Doing exercises with Worf on the Enterprise. Rainbows inside of snow globes hanging on the old Tannenbaum. Stepping on crunchy leaves just before Armageddon. The new car smell of Bob Barker's hair in 1989. Just standing around like no one's watching. The cell of a seafood stand before the ice melted. Putting on a brand new pair of socks while fur flying first class. Drinking free wine. And watching your breath float away in the cold air just like a child's lost balloon. Or getting new stationery and writing dirty letters to Santa. Picking the easy-to-peel orange from the fruit bowl. And or selecting at random from a Whitman sampler and not ending up with some coconut strawberry mess in your mouth. But loosening your jeans after eating three bowls of cereal. Or the pop. That special pop you get when you open a new jar of jam. It's like... You're sitting there at Photoshop, and the brand manager comes up, and they're like, I need you to, to rework this ad. I need it to pop. And you say, pop? Like the pop when you open a jar of jam? He doesn't know what you're talking about, you know? You might as well be talking about preserves or fig preserves, which are delicious, by the way. And a, another thing that brings me great happiness, I... Think back to being young when my grandmother in the country would whip up those fresh southern biscuits out of nothing but flour and water, seemingly, and somehow twist it in the air and have it fall down on a plate and go in the oven and come out these hot, lovely biscuits, eating them with lots of syrup, eating them with cocoa on the side, in a cup, on a saucer, and since it was morning and it was time to eat your breakfast, don't have time for that hot cocoa, you'd pour the cocoa into the saucer and drink the cocoa out of the saucer. The other thing we did was my uh, my uncle called it Jethro style, but you would take the biscuits and you'd flatten them, just like a pancake, just flatten them down. And then you would use that to sop through the syrup and butter, get as much of it as you could there on the side. That's how we were as kids. We uh, we liked sugar. We drank a lot of sweet tea. I don't know if you know the truth about the South, but the truth is is that uh, a home really isn't a home unless you make uh, make a half gallon of fresh iced tea at least every day. Now, a lot of people could go through two of those. We used to go through three. Perhaps because we're the kind of people that put jelly on grits. I have no regrets. I will not uh, apologize for it, but I will recommend that you try it because it will make your life happier. And I hope I've left you with some happy thoughts today. I love all of you. I'll see you soon. Oh, Chad, yes, I feel the love. And and that was like kind of a, 
a, a warm drink on a cold day, that hot cocoa with way too much cream in it. So it's just like almost slippery and fluffy, like drinking a, a pillow, a light pillow, a feather pillow. Um, yeah, happy things. There are happy things, even when one doesn't necessarily have the capacity to vision them or you vision them and you get that melancholy because at the moment you feel you're not having them, but they're coming. Happy things are coming. If you don't have them now, you'll have them tomorrow, maybe the next day or at some point. It, 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 if you wait and you don't lose faith, happy things come back. Just like each and every week, Frank Edward Nora returns right here to the Overnightscape Central and treats us to his monologue magic. And that's a happy thing. And uh, let's share this happy thing together. I remember there's a scene in uh, this movie Shock Treatment, uh, right? the, the, the semi-sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show, where Janet is with those weird scientist people, and they're like, Janet, are you happy? She's like, yeah, I'm happy. But how do you know? What if you only think you're happy? And Janet's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And it's kind of like this topic of happiness is there's this whole undercurrent of like in all of society in our life, like the happiness is this carrot on a stick that we're supposed to try and achieve, you know, and uh, but it sort of seems like a lot of people are kind of faking it or convincing themselves that they're happy, sort of like in that same way. Like a song comes to mind. Was it R.E.M. and B-52s? Or at least someone from the B-52s. One of the women from the B-52s. Remember that song? Shiny, happy people. Oh, yeah. Shiny, happy people. Right? But it almost seems like this bitter thing. Like you sort of have that whole genre. Like um, David Lynch loves doing it. The um, Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks uh, small town life everyone is like real happy pretending to be all happy on the surface but then underneath it's all rotten and all these terrible things are going on or of course the uh, Marilyn Manson song the beautiful people the beautiful people it's all relative to the size of the steeple of your steeple you know so I feel like the pursuit of happiness and how it relates to sort of the western culture especially American culture and um how how it's like this phony thing and it sort of drives society. Uh, and there's such a huge genre of, of work about fake happiness and people pretending to be happy. And then more recently you have, um, right, this uh, social media trend where people try and concoct like this fake life for themselves so people will think that they're happy. Like... Uh, people going on all these expensive trips and posting all these pictures. But a lot of it's fake, apparently. A lot of it is just completely not true. Uh, for example, uh, a couple of years ago, there was a story about, um, I think someone out in Los Angeles had a, had a set uh, of, of a very convincing-looking set of the interior of a private plane. But it was just, it was just in a building, you know. And uh, they started renting it out to these social media influencer people so they could pretend, they, they could take pictures of themselves. Oh, I'm on a private jet. 
and they probably paid like like a hundred bucks to go in and, and shoot that picture, but like it's completely f- fake, right? And that kind of thing, uh, where um, making people convincing other people that you're happy becomes the goal rather than you actually being happy yourself. Or maybe that makes you happy if you can convince people that you're happy. <laughs> it gets really complicated. Just like, like in shock people, you know, how, how do you know you're happy? What if you only think you're happy? <laughs> but doesn't it mean if you think you're happy, then you are happy? I, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a very confusing issue. It's, a, it's, it's something we think about all the time. You know, happy birthday. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Remember that song by Brennan Simpy? Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy. And even that has this sarcastic edge to it. Like, happy, happy, joy, joy. Let's all pretend to be happy. <laughs> and just sort of the phony facade culture. I almost sort of th- thought it was weird. Like, you know, like having to dress, like, like, you know, when you have to dress up. Oh, you have to go to a wedding. So, of course, you have to dress up. But why? Like, why do I have to dress up? Is it just sort of... So I'm not an eyesore to other people. I guess that's sort of the, that actually is what it is, but because people are sort of attuned to things looking a certain way in, in certain situations. But it's just sort of like you, anyone can sort of put on the clothes. I, I guess you have to be able to afford the clothes or rent the clothes or whatever. But but it's sort of a phony facade thing, you know. Um, it's just kind of weird. Like in all the like, you have to act different ways in different situations. Meanwhile, underneath it all are the same kind of people that are like, what the fuck is this? Why, do I, why are, is everyone putting on these outfits, these monkey suits, and why is everyone acting this way? Like, when underneath, everyone's like, what the fuck is this? Can't we just be normal people? It, it's kind of like this, this persistent thing in our society. But I would say that the recipe of this society to have something uh, – that that all that stuff I'm describing is one of the ingredients in – what I think does make this world uh, compelling and interesting, right, is this is the kind of uh, persi- uh, uh, phoniness and the weirdness of, of these facades and these masquerades we're all putting on all the time. But, I mean, what is, what is happiness? What are happy things? Um, well, I can tell you one happy thing is that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in about an hour I'm going to head out to the, uh, the ni- night three of fish at Madison Square Garden. Yes. Fish makes me very happy because uh, this is the third night. I'm going to all seven nights at Madison Square Garden. We only have uh, Monday and Thursday off. Otherwise, it's solid fish shows every single day. And uh, to be in Madison Square Garden, this huge, iconic venue, sold out, jam-packed with people that love this band and hearing this music. And this music is so different than other popular music. It is very. It has very much... It's very akin to the uh, like the '60s psychedelic freakouts and earlier rock and roll, and uh, it's a love of of weirdness and strange music and really intricate progressive rock style uh, jams that have all these different time signatures and keys and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. The fact that that can still happen in 2023, and I can be in a this massive uh, arena with other people that that love it as much or more than I do. Is makes me very happy, and especially the first night, Friday night. Today is a Sunday. Uh, those jams and the, the the jams in that show, it, I was just extremely happy to be there, and uh, it was just absolutely amazing that this kind of stuff still exists, and I just really love it. 
But how about just generally, like day-to-day life for me, you know, um, I think I'm generally pretty happy. I, I, I mean, I do, you know, I do feel like I have a less stressful life maybe than average, and I do um, indulge in things that I, I, that I enjoy a lot, uh, especially doing these shows. I have to say that being a creative person, if you can actually create, that is the greatest happiness. That is the biggest happy thing is to create. Um, and so while it's not ever easy doing like doing an episode of The Overnightscape, even now after doing it 20 years, every time I approach doing one, it's sort of like trying to figure out how to start it and I have all my notes and going through the various uh, you know segments and things and then you know coming up with the other side and then in the end stitching it all together doing the show notes and then doing the show art especially I love doing the graphic design for the show art the one I just did this morning for the show entitled um, Ease Grand B yeah uh, when I was finished with that art and you, there's an indescribably happy feeling it's a happy thing to uh, produce a, a, a creative work that other people uh, uh, will uh, observe or appreciate at some level and then when the show is all done and I post it it is such a great feeling that I actually got the show done and that is a, 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 an incredible vector of happiness I think because um, it involves especially the show I do it involves really um, all of the things in life all the topics I talk about really are the things that I find interesting or make me happy at some level, you know, like I just was recording that show. I'm not done with that episode yet, but, um, you know, talking about the fish show and all the crazy stuff that happened last night, you know, how I, I thought the show was over. Somehow I got faked out and then I jammed back in. I went to a different section and I, I had a much better seat and it was like this wild thing. And then like this, the trains later and how all the trains were screwed up and I, I was hanging around and it took me like hours to get home and that doesn't sound very happy but overall like telling the story of it made me very happy it was like an adventure and yeah going on adventures makes me happy the uh, you know like uh, what did I do recently yeah yeah like like the recent episode where I, where I went over to uh, Brooklyn I went to um, I had a day off so I went to Brooklyn this was a couple weeks ago Went to that industry city. Then I went to see 2001 A Space Odyssey in 70 millimeter at Angelica East. And just going on these little local adventures uh, is something that makes me very happy, you know, taking advantage of the world around you. Um, that was sort of my theory in a way, my old Obliviana concept was that, um, you know, in this, particularly in this day and age, you know, you do have so much freedom and there's so many places you can go and things you can do, but you have to think about what you have to think of doing them it's 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 very hard to like come up with a plan of of what you want to do and uh that system i had that 209 system was to sort of like create adventures using this unexplained phenomenon which i did eventually kind of ease off and 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 give up on that particular concept but i think i'm still doing it just without the formality of it you know going on these so i love going on adventures especially recording them or describing them afterwards and that adds another layer of happiness. It's another happy thing. But yeah, in general, uh, traveling is another kind of adventure that makes me very happy. And uh, haven't been doing a whole heck of a lot of it recently. Of course, had that uh, big trip to Europe back in 2019. That's a long time ago now. It's like four years ago now. Yeah, it is four years ago now. Uh, and then something that wasn't very happy, the pandemic. 
And uh, at least in uh, what last year, I did go to New Mexico, PQ. I came out to visit you. That made me. Ex- that was a very happy thing. I loved that trip. I loved. It was so amazing being out there. That made me very happy. And then uh, later on last year, we went to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Who knew what a great little city that is? That was fantastic. And also recording all these these trips uh, also makes me very happy. So finally, I'm going on another big trip. In less than a month now, I'm going over to Italy. And uh, I'm planning on recording. In fact, I just got this mini computer to, an, you know, a, a cheap, cheap old computer, a Dell from like 2016. It was like $140 or something. Um, I just got it today and uh, started setting it up. I think it will serve me quite well in the process of doing the show from the road. It's weird. It's almost like you know, like a seven-year-old computer that's been refurbished and stuff. Freshly loaded OS, so you know, Windows 10. Like it does most stuff fine. I guess the newer games it can't play, but other than that, don't you? Th- it, it sort of seems like everything just runs on it. You know, it's weird. It's not like you'd, usually you think a seven-year-old computer would be completely unusable, but not in this case. It's weird. That kind of makes me happy that I got a computer so cheap. Yeah, yeah. But of course, then another vector for happiness is, is friends and family, and that that definitely uh, can. It's definitely uh, a vector of happiness. Of course, a, a very somber somber event or a very heavy event. Uh, a week or two ago, my we had the memorial service for my father. And my mother, because we were giving them their both their final resting place. But I got to see so many people, my family, my extended family members and friends that I hardly ever see. And it, was, it made me very happy to see them and, and interact with them. And, of course, uh, you know, my cats make me very happy every day. Uh, all the interactions with the cats, um, very happiness-inducing. You know, I do think about it. There are relationships. I mean, I I love cats. I love all animals. I think I have a real affinity for them. Um, but I think cats especially feels like interesting. I don't know if you want to call it the way that we're wired, um, either by evolution or by design, because I really don't know. I I I don't believe in any model of human origins um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my uh, my options open on that one but clearly human survivability involves having babies and then successfully raising them to be adults and then, then they can have babies and ad infinitum so uh, the cuteness of babies and our, and our responsibility to take care of them that does give people pleasure and makes people happy is, is an essential survivability trait, right? So if you imagine a society where everyone hated babies and they, they, they didn't find them uh, 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 agreeable at all, and they, right, that, then that society may not last. Like, like it may die out after a generation. So cats, in a lot of ways, do have uh, a cuteness, a size, and even the vocal range of like a human baby. And it's sort of like uh, they sort of occupy that place in our instinct, in our core b- makeup of, you know, like sort of like taking care of children, but they're uh, cats. So they're, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, easier to take care of than 
a human. And then from the cat's perspective, right, they uh, – and as a kitten, they're used to having a mother that's much bigger than them that takes care of them. And I think that that's what happens when you tame a, a kitten, right? You can only do it in like the first, I don't know, six weeks of their life or something or eight weeks. If you uh, interact with them, you sort of become like their mother, and they become like your child. It's like this weird, in- interesting um, hacking of, of biology and instinct to form this very strong bond between a human and cat. And dogs, I think, in, in, in a somewhat similar way, actually. Um, I've never had a dog. It's just, you know, I, I don't really... I love dogs. All the dogs I know, I get along with really well. Just, um, you know, I just never really had a desire to have a dog myself. Even growing up, we didn't have dogs. We always had cats. But cats make me very happy. They're, it's a very happy thing to interact with, with cats. Hey, it's later on now. Here in Pennsylvania Station, New York. Yeah, I just got out of the fish show. Night three of fish made me very happy. It's a very happy thing <laughs> to see uh, fish. They debuted a new song called... Uh, what's it called again? The... The gun that doesn't kill you or something. Um, the gun that save the life-saving gun. That's what it's called. The life-saving gun. What is this barrier here for? That's a good song. It's the first time they ever played it. Ooh, look, liquor. Liquor can make you happy. Colonel E.M. Taylor's small batch bourbon. I think so. Bourbon makes me happy, certainly. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's Sunday. So what would make me happy is to get a train back to Secaucus. But I don't know. The next train's at uh, 12.05. It's only like 11.35 now. So it's kind of like a half-hour wait. So I figure we'll walk around a little bit and talk about some happy things. All right, it's still gone. Here's a Long Island Railroad area. Oh, yeah, they have this... Uh, this art here says you are here it's a sort of an architectural rendering of the old Penn Station you know what would make me happy if I, if, if I had a time machine I could go see the old Penn Station thus far the happiness of time travel has been elusive ooh there's someone with kind of a Riddler jacket on looks a bit tipsy what the hell look at all the railroad uh, train time thing is all smashed the glass is all shattered yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, I remember this part of Penn Station such a long time ago. Over there used to be an Orange Julius. That used to make me happy. Sometimes getting Orange Julius, the wonder, the wonder drink. It's not. It's sort of like orange juice, but not really. There's all sorts of stuff. This place is so changed. There used to be a McDonald's over there. I used to get hash browns from McDonald's in the morning over there. Of course, it's long gone. This escalator, this is like a newfangled escalator over here. It's pretty cool. Has like maps on the ceiling. I think we'll just walk around outside. The heat wave kind of broke. It's, uh, it's a little cooler out, which is pretty happy. A pretty happy event. Yeah. I, I, I've been wearing, uh, I've been choosing my t-shirts, you know. 
to uh, come to the show because that's kind of what you wear when you go to a fish show is like cargo shorts and a t-shirt and uh, I wore my gentle giant shirt today you know I really kind of it's, it's kind of sad to me not happy that so many people don't know the music of gentle giant but just as I was about done with the uh, the stairwell to get out of Madison Square Garden some, someone chatted down gentle giant good man good man <laughs> The last possible second, someone someone uh, dug the shirt, so that was kind of kind of groovy. Where are we here? What the hell? What street is this? Oh, Seventh yeah, Avenue. Okay, yeah. Everyone's hanging out out here. A lot of fish fans out here still. We're on 33rd and uh, 7th. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll go over here. Let's walk around a little bit. Got it like a half hour. I don't want to walk too far, though. What are those? Tarot cards and then pizza? What kind of video is that? 11.34. Okay. Let's go across the street here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am happy with the method I, I used to get here, which is uh, to drive over to the, the parking lot at Secaucus. you got to pay, but uh, it's not too bad. What street am I thinking of? 32nd Street, that's the one I'm thinking of. I used to, used to spend a lot of time on 32nd Street over here. Walk down 32nd Street a little bit. Talking to you on my phone, that's why it sounds a little bit different than the recorder. Yeah. Happy things. Well, very happily married. I've been married to my wife Denise for uh, nearly. <laughs> Music. Nearly 26 years now. So my wife always makes me happy. It's a happy thing. What are my daily, like, happy things? I don't know. I, I, I do indulge in uh, video games all the time. I've been playing, like, the, the Internet card games like uh, Hearthstone and um, Magic the Gathering and, and more recently Marvel Snap. And Legend of Runeterra, I kind of stopped. But, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm finally maybe sort of kind of winding down with uh, Hearthstone. I don't think I'm going to do the pre-order this time. I just don't have enough time to play it, you know. Now look at this, across the street here, now it's MSG Network, but it used to be, let me go across the street, it used to be uh, Fuse, like a music television station, which was the uh, evolution of uh, Much Music U USA, Much Music was the Canadian MTV. So yeah, there was a lot of good stuff here on, on 32nd Street. Um, there was a, a game import store. I, I remember, <clears throat> really, I had Super Nintendo. There's a game I really wanted to get in there called Camel Tree. So I bought it there, and I also had to buy a converter. Even though the cartridges were the same, they shaped the cartridges differently so they wouldn't fit in the, you know, the Japanese one wouldn't fit in the American one, but you just had to get, like, an adapter. Love that game, Camel Tree. I think it was uh, eventually released in the U.S. under the name On the Ball. That's a very happy game. And, of course, Jim Hanley's Universe used to be over here. I was just talking to someone about that. Uh, of course, to the left here, 
uh, more towards Sixth Avenue is uh, the old Gimbals, right? Remember Gimbals? Well, I don't really remember Gimbals. That's a bit before my time. I do know that it was uh, featured. At, I believe this was the Gimbals that was featured having the conflict with Macy's in a year without, well, not a year without a Santa Claus. The Miracle on 34th Street, if you may recall that movie. People used to talk about that movie. I don't know if people still talk about that movie anymore. But this was one of these malls. It was a vertical mall. It had like eight levels. After it was Gimbal's, A&S took over. So A&S kind of had like kind of a third of the, the back half, the back third of the building. And then the rest of it was a mall. And it was pretty wild. Um, they put when you, when you go to the first floor, you have these escalators going up the second floor. But then there wasn't an escalator to the third floor. You got to go. You had to walk all the way across the second floor to do that. All right, there's a lot of there's a lot of fish fans gathered here. I think they're doing nitrous. That makes people happy doing nitrous oxide. Apparently, I, have, I haven't done it. I suppose it's the first time for everything, but. Everyone with their nitrous balloons hanging out on 32nd Street as I'm reminiscing. So this mall was really cool, and uh, so the, uh, it would take you like 20 minutes to get to the top floor, which was the food the food court. Uh, and people just didn't have the tolerance to uh, spend that much time going up. The elevators were pathetic, by the way. Uh, anyway. So they wound up closing the, the, the top bunch of floors, putting the food court in the basement. They, they had many uh, levels. They're all, also, a block or two up was uh, Herald Center. Owned, I think it was owned by the Marcos uh, dictator family from the Philippines. That also had that uh, vertical kind of thing going on, and it didn't work. They had that hologram museum you had to pay to go in. It was actually just a hologram store, but they called it a museum. All these memories from over here. And then, of course... Amateur hour back there. Amateur hour. What is he talking about? I think he's talking about the, the nitrous dealers or the... I don't know. Uh-oh. The cops are involved now. Uh-oh. There's a police incident. The cops are yelling at this woman. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This kid got arrested. Look at this. I wonder if he got arrested to, for... Uh, for selling nitrous or something. I don't know. Oh my God, I don't believe it. Look at, yep, it was nitrous. Wow. Yeah, nitrous oxide. <laughs> he got busted for selling nitrous. Wow. That's why everyone's saying amateur hour. Look at this. I'm witnessing an arrest. It's not very happy. <laughs> arrested. No, the girls. The girls are screaming and. Oh my God. A lot of drama here on, on the side street. Uh-oh. The, the, uh, the bicycle carriage guy. Oh, she left something on his carriage. Wow, that was wild. Can you imagine? An actual uh, arrest we saw here. So, uh, yeah, Jim Hanley's Universe was up on, like, the sixth, fifth or sixth floor up there in the in the, what they called A&S Plaza at the time. Later they called it Manhattan Mall. And then the food court in the basement had this beautiful McDonald's with... Um, Lots of neon and, and, and those glass blocks. You, you know those glass blocks you can use to make like a wall that's sort of... You can kind of see through it, but everything's wavy. That's kind of a cool architectural feature. You don't really see that enough. Glass blocks like that make me really happy. Um, yeah, and then eventually Jim Hanley's moved across the street here, right near here. Um, and I used to go there all the time. It was a, an amazing comic book store back in the 90s. Then there was a place here. It was uh, uh, the Monks, uh, the St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, the monks were uh, hanging out here. They had like a monastery or something on this block. A lot of stuff going on on 32nd Street. 
Remember I had an episode called The Tofu on 42nd Street? It was like a whole episode about... I used, to, I used to be able to get this tofu breakfast briefly at this place called Crisp. And I thought I, I thought they had this massive amount of tofu, but I think it was just the uh, the, the uh, falafel that they were making for, for, for the day. Oh, here it is. St. Francis of Assisi Church. Look at it. It's right here. There's Jesus and, and St. Francis kneeling down. Look at that. I knew it was over here somewhere. I, I just passed it. <laughs> um, yeah. So... And I remember when I worked at this place back in the 90s, there was this woman from, I think she was from England. And we were talking about this place. She's like, Francis is a sissy. Like, sort of, like, my name's Frank. It's like, Francis is a sissy or something like that. Weird thing. That's weird. That's like the only thing I remember about her. And then also I helped her with her resume. I guess I guess she was trying to get another job. And she's like, let me pay you. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. She's like, no, but I have to pay you. Otherwise, I feel like I owe you something. I'm like, no. She, wanted, she gave me like five bucks or something. That was a lot of money back then, actually. Well, more than it is now. Oh, look, a Red Wing motorcycle dealer here. Wow. Are we still recording? It's very uh, nerve-wracking recording on this program here. I think we're still recording, actually, yeah. See, I don't want to lose track of time. When I record, I lose track of time, and then I'm going to miss my train. So we can't have that. But, yeah, 32nd Street. It makes me very happy. I do love 32nd Street. Yeah, I haven't been coming into New York to work too much. Uh, A day here, a day there. You know. Wait. Isn't that Pennsylvania Hotel around here? Pennsylvania 65000. Love that that old uh, swing music. All these guys with these uh, these bicycle rickshaw things. They have stereo systems, light systems. Yeah. I remember here there was... Um, yeah, there was this uh, British celebrity. Her name was Alexa Chung. And she joined the news team of, uh, of Fuse. They had Fuse News. <laughs> it's a good sound. Fuse News, dude. Watch some Fuse. Watch some Fuse News. Wait, where's the uh, where's the entrance to NJ Transit? It's over here, right? Oh, look. Here's the, here's the arrested kid. Three, three women police officers are like dealing with him here. Wow. Selling the, selling the illegal nitrous oxide drug. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but I remember, I, for some reason, I remember Alexa Chung was, uh, I, I, I don't think that news organization lasted very long. Whatever happened to Alexa Chung? I don't know. Oh, there's the entrance over there. Yeah, that'll be good. Those they have a sweet green over there. One of those food bowl places. Yeah, I'm not really. I'm not really in tune too much with the, the, the lunch scene in New York anymore. Even though they did open two vegan restaurants, uh, right in the, kind of in the same building I work uh, on the street, uh, Le Botaniste. Very kind of pompous place. And then uh, Plant Burger. I mean, listen, I can't complain. I, any vegan place I, is good for me. I, it's, it's hard for me to find food. You know, vegan food. What time is it? Alright, yeah, let's head back in there. 46, so probably in about 10 minutes I can uh, get on the train. I like recording like this because it just looks like I'm talking on the phone. I am talking on the phone to you in the future. Yeah, 
area. Look, a lot of construction going on here. They have a whole like video ceiling over here in this building. There's no marquee though for uh, uh, Madison Square Garden. I, don't know, I guess they're, I guess they're going to rebuild it at some point. But it says New Jersey Transit Penn Station, and the New Jersey Transit is lit up, but the Penn Station is like dim and flickering. Very evocative. Someone on Reddit said uh, people were getting busted for, like, just drinking, drinking outside. You're not allowed to drink alcohol outside on the street in New York. I mean, I think if you have it in a brown paper bag, you might get away with it. But apparently it's a $25 fine. People are like, the drink costs more than that in New York, you know. Damn, I just bought, like, $6. I had to buy $6 waters, you know. <laughs> not very happy. Anyway back in here. You know, this, this New Jersey Transit area was, uh, it was, it was never here when they, back in the 90s. They, they built this whole section at some point. I think it'll, maybe, maybe the, the early 2000s or something. I don't know. And there's a video screen that's all messed up. There's all sorts of dead pixels and a weird pattern. Everything's a bit disheveled in the New Jersey Transit area. Last night I had a heck of a time getting home. I was like, such, such delays, endless delays. I wound up getting the 1234 train. Can't do a little better tonight. 12.05. I can dig 12.05. Definitely. Look, everyone's sitting on the stairs. Everyone's the fish t-shirts. And now, of course, uh, it's, it's, it's about that time that the Beyonce concert over in New Jersey at MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands is going to be getting out. So it's going to be sort of like the passing in the night of these these two different fandoms, right? Beyonce and uh, and Fish. The Beyonce fans, I never knew. I, I mean, I, I have to say, I don't really know. I don't know much about Beyonce. I mean, I've heard of her. Uh, she's she's sort of this constant sort of background hum in your life, right? You always sort of hear about Beyonce, Knowles. But I don't really know much about her. I'm, I'm sure I've heard a lot of her songs, but her fans dress up in these incredible outfits. Uh, they, it's like it's like a major event, Every, and like lots of sparkles and cowboy hats and. It's really a wild scene. And I, I was reading that that, that uh, for uh, Taylor Swift also they dress up like that. I, I'm out of touch with that stuff. For fish, you know, cargo shorts and, and a graphic tee is, uh, is good. Uh, it's easy. It's easy to dress up for fish. Well, it's practical, too. What, what else am I going to wear? It's kind of hot, so wearing shorts and... I don't know, wear a t-shirt. What else am I going to wear? I don't want to wear, if I'm going to wear a t-shirt, I may as well wear one that I feel uh, represents my uh, pop culture, uh, whatever. But a lot of people a lot of people are wearing the fish shirts to the fish show, which I guess is uh, it's not as frowned upon as some people seem to think it is. But I would say maybe it's about 10% of the shirts or less are actual fish shirts. Actually, that says fish on them, you know. Uh, I was just here <laughs> a little less than 24 hours ago. It was torture because uh, I was waiting so long. One train got canceled, and then they, then they another a train got uncanceled. I went down the stairs over here, and then we were sitting on the train for like 20 minutes, and they're like, "This train has been delayed one hour." So everyone went back upstairs and got the 12:34 train. But all the Beyonce people were coming out of the train while we were trying to get into the train. It was a whole thing. It was a whole it's a whole mess. All right, so in about five minutes, maybe we'll get our track for the... Every train pretty much goes to a Secaucus from here, I'm pretty sure. Unless there's, like, some 
super duper. No, I don't think there's any super duper express. I think everything stops. Everyone stops at Secaucus, which is like barely 10 minutes from here, which is awesome. You know. Love that Secaucus Junction. And then, I, you know, go to the parking lot, pay my... It's $14 during the week, $16 on the weekend to park there for a few hours. Listen, it's horribly expensive around here. It really is. It's ridiculous. $6 waters, $14 parking. No, this guy is... This guy is... Uh, hey. <laughs> he didn't even ask me. He saw I was talking on the phone. He's wearing a cool. He's wearing a cool like uh, fleece though. It has a, a Shell Oil logo on the back. I should ask him if he, if I should I should say, hey, remember those old calculator games? Where you could like do a calculation and then turn your calculator upside down. And it would spell things. There was one calculation where it would spell Shell Oil. That was in one of my calculator game books. I think the guy's pretty high on drugs. I don't think he would quite grasp the concept of. Uh, Remember calculator games? Those made me very happy. I still have a few books about cal- games to play with your calculator. Listen, it's, it's like we all knew we were going to have these amazing gaming devices in our pocket, right? Our phones now are, are just uh, are, are, are for games. Well, I play games on them. You know, before then, I remember my uh, 10th birthday going down to Tiny Tots on Route 22 and getting one of those first Mattel electronic games. I got Missile Attack. I wasn't really that into sports. I probably could have gotten, like, this auto racing. I remember that one was there. I don't know if the football and baseball and basketball were there yet, but I'm telling you, the uh, missile attack, that was an early example of that. But before that, you had to play with calculators. We had those calculators that had those uh, those those red those red light-up numbers before they figured out the LCD, the liquid crystals that are, like, dark gray and light gray. You know what I'm talking about? You had, like... It, it, <laughs> It was a calculator, but it was like these red numbers, but they were so small, they were like these little bulbous like magnifying glasses in front of each letter. Remember that whole thing? The early days of calculators. And my grandfather had one that was really weird. You know, normally there's, there's sort of a, a grid of, uh, you know, like seven lines that you can use to make all the numbers, but his had these different shapes, all these curvy shapes to make the numbers. It was wild. Calculators do make me happy, so... Well, within reason, you know. Let's not go overboard. Calculators are pretty okay, but yeah. What do we got going on here? Any more? Uh, any more controversies? No. Everyone's pretty mellow. I don't see any Beyonce uh, folks yet. Well, like, the show has to get out. It's, the show's probably getting out, but then they have to get a train to Secaucus, and then they got it from Secaucus to get a train here. You see what I'm saying? Well, that guy's got a heck of a lot of hexagonal tattoos. Those are actually pretty cool tattoos. Hexagonal tiles. Mm. That's a good uh, tattoo scheme, like mathematical tiles. You know, like, you know, they just discovered that, um, the Einstein, remember that? special uh, pattern that can tile a plane in a non-repeating, you know, the Einstein tile. It has nothing to do with Albert Einstein. It's a, Einstein means one stone in uh, German. So, like, you know, Albert Einstein, hey, man, my name is Al One Stone. He, he, he doesn't sound so smart. Al One Stone. I have one stone. You have a stone. Oh, nice there, Al. You have a stone. I have one stone. Good one, Al. I have one stone. You're a very smart guy. See? That wouldn't that would be a different Einstein. Al Einstein Al one stone. 
all right, come on. This, let's just, you know what make me, what would be the happiest thing when I see, when I get on this train, I, I'm about ready. Because it's a train station at night, even though there's air conditioning, it's just like this weird kind of clingy humidity, that, especially at night in a train station. I don't know what the hell it is. It's this weird, like, train station energy, you know? All right, come on. As soon as they post it, everyone's going to start running. It's not, it's not as crowded as it was uh, last night, though. Everyone's outside getting arrested. <laughs> it's so funny. It was amateur hour. This guy chose the wrong spot to sell nitrous oxide balloons. He got busted by the cop. Well, I heard the, like they just have to release you after they book you, right? All right, come on. Whoa, oh! Ooh. Woman just, woman just fell. There was something. Wow. Track twelve. Track twelve. There, there is something slippery on the ground. Of course, poor woman just fell over. Track twelve. Of course, I'm by track one. Of course. See, you never know. It's, it, it's like this uh, slot machine. You never know what. You never know what the track is. You never know uh, what track is going to be. I guess it's probably better to hang out about around six, six or seven. But probably if you do it every night, you, you get to know a pattern, you know what I'm saying? Come on. There's a lot of stuff going on, people falling, but, but she wasn't drummer. There was actually like a slick, kind of slimy liquid on the ground. What the hell was that? Probably someone dr- spilled their energy drink or something. Yeah, no, there's this mass of people here now, great. Oh, look, that guy has a cool shirt. It looks like fish, but it says Taylor Swift. That's a good one. All right. Let's, let's go with the herd here and uh, get to the track. Track 12. There it is. All right. One side or the other. Yeah, I don't see uh, the, the Taylor Swift coming off yet. So, not Taylor, uh, Beyonce people coming off. So. It's a bit earlier. Well, not that much earlier. I mean, it's 11.57 now. It's like 12.34. Other people are much closer here now. All right. Anyways. How are we doing here? It's just a few few observations on happy things. And I'm very happy. I'm getting on my train now. And hopefully this clingy, weird humidity of the train station, once you get in the train with the air conditioning, it'll be a bit of relief. Just drive home and uh, I'll be home. Back to you, PQ. And just like that, he's back. Oh, yeah. Now, that made me happy hearing Frank. I, I mean, Frank is happy. That does give me a kind of joy because that's just, it's a magical thing here. And uh, I've gotten a lot of joy and happiness. Like him, being creative when it's flowing is just, there's nothing more incredible than that. And um, yes, the by the way, the appreciator will be back, just in case you were wondering. He's just a little, uh, it, it's it's a strange time. I mean, th- this year has had some of the happiest times I th- in memory, all memory. This was really, but of course, you have to find that middle because when you start doing these peaks 
it can really they go up and down, and the fate has a way of doing that. It, it, if you find that really nice middle of contentment, that's really the place that one should aim for. And uh, happy things are when everything feels right. Not so much like uh, Chad was saying, you know, where you're just this goofy, over-blissful, knucklehead fool. And I've, I've had moments like that, and I've had moments, oh boy, but happy times. And uh, got to frank everybody. Uh, I thank Dave in Kentucky for his patience and me missing his entry for fear. I thank Doc Slees because he just brought me some focus, even the Ford Focus. I mean, how much more could I possibly ask for? And Chad and Frank for their happy things. And as always, the Chad uh, bears future listening. And, oh man, Frank at a Fish concert, does it get any happier than that? And it's just so neat because most of the people I know who go to those concerts, I'm not sure they remember even going. I mean, they're in some sort of bliss, but uh, perhaps some of the substances they're ingesting in order to uh, enhance the experience do a little, like like Chad said, there's an over-enhancement level that can occur, and perhaps it does. And next week, you're invited. Uh, we're getting a slightly late start, but you got plenty of time before next Monday. This is our first August 2023 Central, and uh, the deadline for the next one is August 7th, 2023. Get it to me by evening time, and uh, Gmail willing, you will be included right here on the next show. And the next show, we've done these a few times over the years, and sometimes overplayed it, but we haven't done a show of shows for 2023. And what this is, is um, you can just do a monologue on any topic, or if you would like to put together a pilot for a show, or just this idea for a one-shot show, this is it. It's the Overnightscape Central show of shows, and you're cordially invited. It would, In fact, it would make me happy, and I would appreciate your contribution. The email address is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Send an audio file, share it to me with Google Drive, send me a link, or if it's really long, just cut it into two pieces and I'll slap it back together, you know, send it in two emails. But whatever the case, again, the email address, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Dot com. Join us. Be part of the Overnight Scape Central, especially if you've never done this before. There's a few of you out there that I feel haven't. And um, by the way, this last exit ramp that happened was very interesting. I mean, everything from uh, slot cars to a little uh, talking about podcasts and Howard Stern. And um, it, it makes me, I'm thinking about doing a Zoom show and either using just the audio or maybe even, I don't know, am I visual? It's worth a try. People looking at what you looking at. Anyhow, um, next week, 
the show of shows right here. And uh, I will let you get back to whatever it is that you do when you're not giving me your attention. Oh, I love your attention. And um, till we next meet, set the controls for the heart of the fun.